Hey, this is Matt Dwyer, and I just want to invite you to check out thematdwyer.com. That's my website, where it's a landing spot for all things that are the podcast, like my Patreon page. For $5 a month, you could become a Patreon subscriber. You get bonus blogs, bonus content. A lot of my interviews go two hours, but I only post an hour. So there's the part two there. There's episodes in their entirety that unedited a lot of stories that you might not hear in the podcast. So go to themattdwire.com, become a Patreon subscriber. There's also merchandise. You can buy t-shirts and a phone case. I think I those are the only two things I have right now. But you can also find my social media and see the past episodes. Every episode is on there. Um, you can see all, a lot of my past guests. You might discover some people you didn't know were on the show and be like, holy shit, he's had Wayne Coyne from The Flaming Lips or holy shit, he's had Danita Sparks from L7. So go to themattdwyer.com, become a Patreon subscriber, buy some merch. Thank you. I'm Matt Dwyer. This is a music podcast, and speaking of music, that song that played me in is an untitled track from Dan Aide. And this is my 300th episode, and Dan Aide is my guest today. Dan played in a band many moons ago called The Broken West, which put out two albums on Matador. And from there, Dan, if you don't know Dan's band, The Broken West, or Dan Aide, which a lot of music people do... You've surely heard Dan play because he's played with fucking everybody. Valerie June, Nora Jones, Matt Sweeney, Darker My Love, Jess Williamson. The list goes on and on and on who he's played with, recorded with, toured with. It's um, it's pretty crazy. <clears throat> and the reason Dan is my guest for the 300th episode is because uh, I try to do something different for these anniversary episodes. And... It's. I wanted to do something that meant a lot to me, somebody who also meant a lot to me as a guest, and Dan Aide is a dear, dear old friend. I met him many years ago working at Auntie M's Kitchen, and he and I became instant friends. And I would go to Dan's house every... Well, he lived pretty close to me, and I used to walk over there, and his house became like a clubhouse. And fucking everybody would hang out there, jam. I would play with them. I sucked, but it, which I think a lot of us were kind of drunk anyway, so it didn't really matter. <laughs> but it was like some great musicians hanging out and jamming. Uh, and just over the years, like Dan, like influenced, Dan came from a different approach of music, of listening to music than I did. And we had some common ground with jazz and whatnot, but he expanded my point of view, my taste opened my eyes up to a lot of stuff that I was closed off to, and I've always been greatly appreciative of that. He's had a huge influence and allowed me to become a better student of music, because I sure as fuck ain't a musician, but I am obviously somebody who loves music so much that I dedicate a podcast to it. Um, Dan is a revered musician, and I have, in the show notes, there'll be a bunch of quotes I got a bunch of quotes because I wanted not just just 
to this to be like an interview with Dan, but I also wanted it to be sort of a celebration of a guy who so many musicians respect and admire. And he's a humble fellow, so he wouldn't, uh, you would never know that. But like Nora Jones says, Dan always comes up with something unexpected and perfect. I remember hearing him perform one of his songs for the first time, and I was struck with the unique melody. It was beautiful and haunting and also wonderfully different. I love playing with him for that reason. He can play anything. I will ask him. uh, He will play anything I will ask him. But the creative streak of the unexpected beauty is the best cherry on top. That's what Nora Jones said about Dan Aid. Sorry, my cold reading skills aren't well. They're not good. They never have been. And for a guy who once strived to be an actor, not the... (laughs) Probably why you never saw me in any movies, because I couldn't cold read at auditions. Matt Sweeney who is a a giant guitarist, says, Dan is my favorite electric guitarist to see live. He never plays licks. He breathes all these unexpected fluid lines that are so satisfying. The low-key master. I also meant to mention that I called Dan, he goes by a number of names, Dan the Man Aid, Handsome Dan, Donald, are a few of his names that I (laughs) like to call him over the years. Uh, In the show notes, there's all these quotes from... Magnificent musicians he's played with. I've quoted a few in the show. I quickly got the impression that Dan became uncomfortable with me um, quoting people saying how great he is. So I just thought I'd say a couple at the top of the show and and then put them in the show notes so you and his family and whoever wants to, um, you know, see how great Dan is and how people think how great he is. Because it's it's really amazing. Like, I wanted to reach out to... I reached out to a lot of people, and Emmy, Emily Fiscio, his partner in this world, helped me greatly with this, so I want to make sure I thank her. Uh, but um, I think that covers all the things I wanted to say about Dan I in my intro. I hope I'm not leaving anything out, because um, he's had this huge impact on my life. And, and uh, I would say that a lot of the... Um, artists that I've had on this show is are directly linked to Dan Aid. Uh, it maybe it's embarrassing to say that I did, wasn't fully aware of who Van Dyke Parks was when I met Dan Aid, but he hipped me to Van Dyke Parks, and then of course Van Dyke Parks did the fucking podcast. Um, <clears throat> so I think that's uh, all. I really, I just, I just want to th- say I'm grateful for Dan Aid doing this podcast. It's a really great interview. Here's another important thing. Dan and I talked for an hour and 40 minutes, I think. Um, This is only about an hour. Oh, yeah, and there was some, at one point, there was some, the neighbor was hanging something. He lives in New York City. It's going to get noisy. Anyway, so I apologize about that. But, uh, and I don't normally do this, but usually I put the extra content, the hour and a half I would that I've edited down to an hour, you would get on Patreon and you'd have to be a subscriber for it. It is on my Patreon, the video and the extra bonus content, but I'm putting that out for free. And that will also be in the show notes because I feel like if everyone should fully experience the brilliance that is the mind and music of Dan Aid. This is officially the longest intro I've ever had <laughs> on this podcast. Also... I want to say real quick, if you look at, if you're on iTunes and you're like, wait a minute, this says it's 200 and something episodes. This isn't the 300th episode. 
That's because I've deleted some episodes over the years that I wasn't proud of. I interviewed some people I wish I hadn't. Uh, some people who turned out to be monsters. <laughs> and uh, I don't want to give monsters space. That was pre the music stuff. I've never taken down a music interview. Not a one. All right. I thank you for indulging my nearly seven-minute intro about the great Dan Aide. But you know what? Seven minutes doesn't sum up the greatness that is Dan Aide. Please enjoy my conversation with the incredible guitarist and, and human being, Dan Aide. When you turned 40, did you have any of that like psychological shit that goes with it? Like, oh, my life is here or there or do you not care well sure i mean because i also was in the midst of this whole thing i mean you know it was it was, it was 2021 and that's still the world is well still kind of is was upside down so i was even in before turning 40 um all of 2020 i was freaking out being like uh like because i was sitting around so much you know um I wasn't really playing. I was uh, wondering if all that was over. You know, I didn't really know if I was going to have a career um, after all this. And so then turning 40 uh, definitely exacerbated that a bit. But the one thing about it was like, I didn't have to have a party. <laughs> I, was, I was kind of fine with because I'm not, you know, that, that would have been tough. I mean, uh, there was, I got a lot of nice messages. Um, but uh, yeah, we didn't. I didn't have to have like a surprise party. That would have kind of. Been, I don't. I'm not saying worse, but I mean, you know what I mean. I never. I've told Kelly like right as soon as we got serious. I'm like, don't ever have a fucking surprise party for surprise me. Surprise party. Because <laughs> that's just. Uh, I don't like. Yeah. I don't birthdays. Like I don't mind getting older. I just don't like being the center of attention. Like I don't. It makes me don't really either. uncomfortable. I do, which which is interesting because we're both like in the entertainment industry, um, in a way. But it's fun that you don't like having all eyes on us. But I feel the exact same way. I mean, like I'm a, I, like part of my job is being a performer, and like sometimes there's a lot of people, but I don't like them looking at me. Which is, you know, <laughs> seems like that might be that might be backwards a little bit, right? It might be doing the wrong the wrong thing. But I don't like I don't want to like after. Well, I don't do shows anymore, but I don't want people coming up to like after shows. I used to hate when people would like want to talk and stuff. And yeah. nothing against them. I'm flattered that somebody would want to talk to me after they saw me perform because it should yeah. be quite the opposite but yeah. i would be like i don't know i just it's i don't know do you think that's like because you, you you were in a band and then now you i guess would you be call yourself like a side guy or a support what would you what, how do you phrase what you do now yeah i mean i think that like anybody else that does what i do you have you've, you've had to diversify because in 2022 being a musician is a very different thing than it was even in like 2002. So you have to do so many different things to keep the lights on. But I don't know, I guess I'm like, um, you know, you know, part performer, part, you know, touring musician, part sideman, part studio musician. And, um, as of late kind of sort of been dabbling in the film industry a little bit. So in, in the music, you know, department of these film of, of a couple of films. So I don't know. Yeah. It's like, it's just, it's just a bunch of different things. I've also taught like a lot of people are doing really starting in 2020, like a lot of like my favorite, like even like 
people pretty far up the totem pole started teaching guitar, you know, just because they needed to, or maybe they liked it, but you know what I mean? So it's changed so much. So yeah, I mean, it's hard to say how I identify currently because it's like, I have to do so many things like everyone else. When you, did you ever want to be the guy out front? Did you ever want to be a, like, I'm going to be the front man. I'm going to be the, was that ever a thought for you? No, no. I, but, but I think that, you know, that's sort of a, I th- no, I never wanted to be the guy out front, but I think I also couldn't. And I think, I don't think I could have been, I don't, I still don't think I can really. Although like, you know, I, I consider like, I really want to have, have a, my own record and stuff like that, finish that. But I think it's just, I just, I'm, some people are born into this world, like where they feel comfortable assuming that position. And I just was never given the skills to be able to take on that responsibility. You know, like I've, I've, I've really struggled with that. Like even just as a sideman with being playing in somebody else's band, like, you know, I've just, I, I, and I think a good example maybe is you having me on your show at some, such a momentous occasion. Like I'm, I'm a, I am a chronic sufferer of imposter syndrome. Like, you know, I really am. Um, so yeah, thinking that I'm the, I'm the front man, I'm the guy that everyone's watching and, and, and listening to like, yeah, that, that scares me, but I just also don't, I just don't think I even had the skills to even be able to pull that off. You know, I wasn't really, wasn't really, I, I, those. I, I can relate to that. And I think like when I met you, I think I wanted to be famous. And then the closer I got to it, the more I saw it and the more I realized I'm not cut out for it. It's just, but the thing is, I think it's funny. You call yourself an imposter syndrome. And like, I have like a series of quotes of people who've written about you. And here's, here's one from Eric's like, Dan is one of the few guitarists I call a genius. I have a general disdain for, for most guitarists, but not Dan. His steel playing is textural, impeccable. And his guitar work creates a kind of space where a song can happen without hassle. People repeatedly call you a genius. Oh, wow. Um, That's very nice. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, you know, I think that... And, and, and I'm not the only one and, and you're, you're, you're sort of, I mean, I, I, you and I are very similar, I think in a lot of ways. And, and that's why we've been such good friends. And, um, but yeah, you know, it's, it's great hearing that stuff and it's great hearing that stuff after a show, but it's hard to like really believe it. You know, I, like some people, I just, you know, it's just, I just have that dis- disposition. You know, some people are pretty well adjusted and they, and they were, brought up in a way to like kind of feel comfortable around other people and, 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 uh, and, uh, and just be tough in those sort of ways. But, but I'm just not one of them by any, I had to really kind of work on that sort of stuff. I mean, you know, especially in my twenties, when you and I met, I mean, people just came to me, people came to my house. It wasn't really just to me, but they came to my house and I loved that welcoming people into sort of my house and my world. But that was partly because like, I didn't feel comfortable enough going to anybody else's. You know? <laughs> it's true. I don't either. Like I felt comfortable coming to your place because it started to feel like, like a clubhouse. It felt like family. Yeah, family. Yeah. And it was a uh, man. When you guys moved, it was a really hard time for me because I lost my core group of, like my family 
Yeah. That first Thanksgiving, I was so mad at you. <laughs> yeah. That I had to spend alone. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I do appreciate, like, you know, that's real nice, what Eric had to say and I, from such a fantastic musician. Um, but, yeah, you know, it's, 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 I'm s- still trying, feeling comfortable sort of stepping out into light because sometimes, I mean, I've done things, especially the last five years that like, I don't know, like a lot of people are looking at and I still like, you know, leave that experience or if I think about it, I'm like, God, I hope nobody was really looking at me, (laughs) which is crazy. Can you pinpoint why that is, why you're that way? I think I just, you know, I just grew up in an environment where, um, I just always kind of felt like a tourist. I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to bring like dim the lights here, but I mean, I kind of always felt a little bit like a tourist and just in, in different situations with, with different groups of people, you know, there's certainly different musical situations that, um, and that's just like when I was a teenager, that's just kind of what it felt like. And I sort of, I played another instrument before guitar, but once I started playing guitar, I kind of stepped into my own world. You know, that's what it's always been for me. It's just, it's like, I have this world I can go to and I feel always welcome there. And I'm not saying anybody's ever felt, maybe feel unwelcome outside that world. I just kind <laughs> of feel that, you know, you know, yeah. I sort of feel like a tourist. And, and, and so, and that's just, you know, definitely teenage stuff, you know, just the, the situation I was in and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's, that's sort of why. Yeah. You played cello before guitar, right? I played cello. And then my, my aunt started dating this guy who was a professional musician, a guitar player, um, like a classical guitar player, a great player, taught a lot like his, his he started his job was a guitar teacher at that point when i met him and he said you want to play guitar i was like uh yeah sure and he just <laughs> gave me he gave, he gave me a guitar and then i would see him you know on holidays or i would occasionally go and take a lesson from him and he just gave me my first guitar and i just really responded to it had you not thought of guitar before that but you definitely were thinking about music I was thinking about music because my mom was, and, and my mom and my uncles, my mom didn't play music, but I had a few uncles that all played guitar. Even before this guy, my aunt started dating, who ended up being my teacher, pretty much. Um, so music was around, but um, but nobody was really a like a serious musician, but they liked to listen to music. Did it seem like a, like a distant world to be a part of it? Was it just like something you couldn't even fathom of like, oh yeah, I could have a life in music? Yeah, I mean, I'm trying to, I think because I remember being in high school and being really into music and that was, and all my friends were musicians and, you know, and and some of them still are, I mean, just great people and a lot of them are older than me and, and just, yeah, great musicians. But I remember being a junior or maybe senior in high school and See, at that point, like not a hundred percent sure I was going to pursue music full time. I just, where I, where I grew up and stuff, it just seemed like so far off that it was even a possibility, you know? I mean, I, I definitely had thought about it, but it just seemed so unlikely that I was going to 
like, I just didn't know anybody who really was doing it. And it was just a small town of 20,000 people in Southern Connecticut. I mean, I mean, there's definitely people that played instruments, but you know, I didn't think it was a possibility. I was thinking about going to, I think like, uh, maybe like doing, um, uh, like, a like an outside kind that's so crazy to think now, but uh, some sort of, wasn't a nature program. What's it called when you're like a uh, trail manager or you work at a national Parks park? Though, like a, uh, yeah. Um, uh, forestry or yeah, something. Forest I, I can't ranger. remember what it was. Um, you were going to be a forest something. ranger? Well, like, no, I, don't think, I don't think a forest ranger, but I was going to go, I think there's this school that I applied to, college that I applied to in New Hampshire, I believe, that was kind of geared towards that th- sort of thing, which... It sounds insane now. Like I'm afraid to even, you know, camp in the woods. Oh, like, yeah, spend fuck night. That. Um, but, but yeah, I wasn't, the point is, is I wasn't hundred percent sure. I was, I love music at that point. And that was when I did all my free time um, in high school and stuff at that point, but wasn't really sure until I remember being 18 and my mom saying, um, look, you can uh, either go to college and leave here or you can just hang around and get a job. And I was like, well, I'm definitely not staying here. <laughs> <laughs> so I, 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 I reluctantly applied to a few music schools and that's how I kind of got out of my hometown. And then from there, that's when I was like, Oh, well, this is, I, you know, I saw all these other people that were doing what I was doing at all sorts of levels. And I was like, well, I mean, these people are doing it. I can probably do it, you know, do you ever think of what would have, what life would have been if you would have just stayed in Brantford? Oh God, I can't imagine. I mean, not good. <laughs> I mean, Is meth I mean, enter into it? <laughs> no, because it's it's. I don't a, know anything don't, about it. No, because it's a, it's a you know that's a. I don't know if that even exists in Connecticut. Maybe it does now. It's too. That's more just like there's definitely a lot of you know darkness though. <clears throat> yeah, the world uh, is dark. Yeah, the world is world is certainly dark, but you know, definitely like in a you know weird little town on the on this Connecticut shoreline. You know, it just you know, yeah, it wouldn't have been good. But you would you had been playing because you had a band in middle school, right? Yeah, I had I had bands all through middle school and high school. What were th- was the kind of music you were interested in then? Because I always like, and I've said this to you, but like I've always been crazy about music i've always been really into it i think when i met you you helped me really sort of refine and open my mind up to a lot of different kind of music that i think i was still stuck in a uh my 20 something punk head my mm-hmm. fucking idiot head <laughs> but like uh, and i think you helped broaden my horizons in a lot of ways and i was like where were you were you like playing in like a sort of like grunge bands in high school or did you not even give a shit no, about that stuff i didn't i didn't it was all like uh this was the 90s in new england so it was all um grateful dead influenced stuff and like classic rock and then a little bit of uh like sort of jazzier side of stuff towards the end like you know when i was 18 but really it was whatever i could hear because this was obviously before the internet and stuff, or be, you know, before Spotify and stuff like that. It was really just whatever I would hear on the radio, whatever friends, records, friends had, or CDs at that point. So it was all classic rock and like Grateful Dead, jam bandy kind of stuff. Although I wasn't into Fish or anything, so it was really like the Grateful Dead and classic rock. Do you still bandy. like the Dead? 
I do, but it's just, it's so, I think that they should be so, I think that everyone should listen to the Grateful Dead. I'm not saying everyone has to love them, but I think they're, I think in a lot of ways that sort of the greatest American band, but the way they've been objectified <laughs> and the way, and the way, and the way that, and the way that everyone just wants to make money off of them. I mean, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not like faulting anyone for, for wanting to make a living playing music. I mean, if I feel like, you know, they're game in the system, if you're, if you're able to make money playing music, but the whole cover band thing and stuff like that. And the, it's crazy. And the whole thing, but yeah. It's just, I mean, I just, I don't really want to see a Rachel Day cover band. No offense to anyone that does it, but, um, I forget who somebody like very, like maybe it's one of the dudes from woods or I don't know. Somebody has like a really extensive grateful dead cover band. And I'm like, sure. I don't want to see a, I don't want to see a cover band yeah, because it's like, I never, it's like going to see a guy who's pretending to be Frank Sinatra. Like I don't give a yeah, fuck. I know. I don't. Yeah. And it's, and, and, and I don't fault anybody for doing it, but I think that, um, I listen to them so much and I still love it. I don't go and see it. You know, I, I'm not necessarily going to see cover band, you know, unless I happen to be there already. And, um, I don't total, I don't throw it on to them so much anymore, but I did really love them. And I still do. It's interesting. Cause when you said, do you, who would you consider I some of the greatest American bands? Cause there's somebody said the band and I was like, that's uh can't, that's can- Canada motherfucker. You can't say the band. <laughs> Yeah, well, right, right, yeah. But that was like I saw a debate online about it, and somebody was like, the band. And I'm like, nope. But is it the dead CCR? Do you have any others that you would throw up there? I love CCR. I don't know. Like Little Feet. I don't know. There's, there's so many. It's hard to think of bands that are. Because I like, I like, I really love, I love bands, but I really like songwriters. So I, I really love, you know, I love you know, the town fans dance of the world. I mean, it's only one, but like that kind of thing, you know? Right. So I find myself listening to those records and loving the band, the bands that play on them, but it being like exclusively dedicated to a band. It's hard to live dead, but yeah, you know, um, yeah, it's hard to say. I, I kind of stand by the Grateful Dead. So, I mean, I've had this argument with people before, but I kind of stand by them kind of being the quintessential American band. They're heavily influenced by American music, you know, back to the you know, bluegrass and Appalachian music and stuff like that. And just, yeah, I mean, they, I think they're great. So, yeah, I'm trying to think who else I would put in that category, but I would put them at the top of the list. It's It's been hard for me to, it really took me years. Even you and I talked about it, and I couldn't get into it back back in those days. But I think... Like Tim Presley gave me a hard sell on them, and he was like, "Listen to these two albums. Start here, because he's like, I think he probably started in the wrong spot." And so I was able. I'm not still fully on board, but I like those two albums a lot that he suggested, which are like the ones from seventy, sixty nine, seventy. Yeah, I mean, Working Man's Blues, I think. Oh sure, yeah. <laughs> It's great. But it's like, it was when, cause, cause Tim was like such a, came from such a punk rock world. I was like, really? You like, it was hard for me to understand that he liked the Grateful Dead because punks always hate the dead. And I think unjust, yeah. it's like posturing really. And which, which is what I was doing. I was like, well, I'm supposed to hate hippie shit. Cause I was into punk rock. 
now most punk sucks. Like I'll be frank. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. I mean, I, again, I'll just say that I think their music should be celebrated by and just listened to by everyone. But you know, as far as like it being something that's on every corner and that's that's what people are paying money to go see instead of some original music. Well, that's the thing. Honest, I'm not too into, but. I just think that this is obviously me because a lot of people <laughs> love to go see it. When, so when you, you went to Berkeley, right? Yeah, I did for sort of a year. Is that the school you went to out from, from out of high school or was there a different one in between? No, I went, I mean, I applied to a few um, and, and uh, the one I chose was there because my uncle went there who played guitar. When you taught me guitar, and um, I went there for maybe a year, and right after high school. And it's weird because I've had a lot of people on the podcast who went to Berkeley, and most yeah. most don't finish, which I think is. It seems like I don't know. That's interesting to me. People are just like, "Fuck it, I'm just going to go do it." Was that sort of your attitude? Well, I think again, what I was saying earlier too, like that was the option. I mean, I could have gone to another school that I got accepted to. Um, but I just had to go somewhere <laughs> and, um, and I didn't really consider music going to music school initially, as I, as I also said, but, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of a little bit like uh, the program's a little bit, it's a jazz program, but it could be like, it's kind of a little rock and roll a little bit. So I think a lot of people that, you know, that you've talked to are just, uh, a lot of people that are in bands went there because it's not exclusively jazz or something, which a lot of these other programs are, or classical. I mean, it's, it's people play like rock there. Yeah. That's almost everybody I know who went there. I don't know any, I think I know like one jazz dude who went there and yeah. everybody else went there's, to rock. Yeah. There's some jazz guitar players that went there, but I think, uh, I mean, it was, it's hard because I was there for such a short time, but it, I met some great people there. Some of some you've talked to, I know, on, on your on your on your show. Um, it's, it does an interesting thing to people that spend a lot of time in that world in, in music school. Is that you kind of end up you, you become this mentality where you're always being judged all the time, and that's a that's a strange headspace to be in when you're playing music. You know? Yeah, I never would have thought um, of that. Cause you're always being judged. I mean, you're being like, you're, you're, you're being like uh, evaluated. I mean, cause it's school. Um, and it's, it's strange to think about music like that. So I think that sometimes people that spend a lot of time in music school, you learn a lot, but you come out in the real world and then you're just so used to being judged all the time. It makes you kind of a little bit of different a player or the way you approach the instrument. Um, because it's it's obviously not any sort of competition playing playing music or guitar or anything, but like sometimes people get caught in that thing where like you're just used to being judged for four years, <laughs> which is weird. Because I mean, it's just it's just fucking guitar, you know. Nobody's really even listening to you anyway, you know. Yeah, to the singer. I um, find like I find like studying uh, that kind of stuff conflicting because there was a lot of that in theater school and there's like and it's like if you're feeling judged all the time it's hard to be feel free and creative which is really the sure. goal yeah um or you just yeah you sort of overcompensate a bit um if you feel like yeah you're just being being scored on everything you everything you do with, with an instrument and it's hard right um, um but yeah i went there for maybe a year 
I don't regret it, but I don't think about it very much. And I definitely learned a bit, but I was ready to move on. Did you, was there anything like, because I'm curious to when you started moving more towards composing and writing, which seems to be something that's coming like, well, never mind. I just, when did you start composing and writing your own? I think that, you know, from the beginning, I, I from the beginning when I started playing, I, I tried, and then I got really into being an instrumentalist. And throughout my life, I have kind of gone back and forth, or straddled the line between being an instrumentalist and being a composer, and usually doing both. But like as my main focus, and I think that um, in my teens, I was about twenty-two. I was really interested in being an instrumentalist, guitar, then sort of pedal steel, and then the time that you and I met in my early mid sort of late twenties, I was really into composition and I was really into songwriting and I was still playing my instruments, of course, but my focus was more on composition. And then after that experience, um, when I moved back East, especially and, and sort of still currently, but um, up until now, I've been back to really focusing on being an instrumentalist. And that's part because, as you said earlier, I've sort of been a sideman, definitely for the last 10, I mean, I don't know, maybe 10 years exclusively. So I've really just focused on being an instrumentalist, um, composition being second. When you're just playing as a side guy or on tour, do you still feel the imposter syndrome? Because I'm, I'm fascinated by that because I've felt that my yeah. entire life. I feel like someday yeah. someone's going to go, oh, Dwyer's just been bullshitting us. <laughs> oh, well, I, I, I totally feel that. I totally feel that. And I think that, and, and that's sort of, I guess, analogous or in the same line as me talking about feeling like I'm a tourist. You know, I think all those things are related. Um, it's yeah, the feeling of maybe not necessarily belonging or being the wrong guy for the job. I mean, I definitely, that's, that happens a lot. Yeah. I mean, some of those things, I mean, I think with the, with the Nora thing, so, you know, I appreciate you having me on here for so many reasons, but I never really get to, I never tell anybody this kind of stuff. And that's partly because of my personality, <laughs> um, but, um, but I'm, I'm saying a lot of this stuff for the first time. I don't never really tell, I don't really talk about this stuff. Um, not that it's anything crazy crazy uh, right the fire um but yeah with the Nora thing i definitely felt like i don't belong i mean it's a big operation and there's people with tons of experience involved in that more so than me i mean musicians definitely more experienced but even the crew it's a big operation and i've done stuff with her like i played at budokan three times with her Damn, you know that's I mean? fucking cheap trick. Um, that's all that I can think of when I hear Budokan. And, <laughs> and I, you know, and I and I and I, you know, she she's such a fantastic uh, person, and she treats her band in a way like where she, you know, does things like flies as first class and all these really nice things that are not part of my normal life. So I can't help but feeling in some of these moments, like God, like how did I get? Why, why am I here? You know, how did I get here? I mean, like, it could be, there's so many people that could be doing what I'm doing. Um, And I would say one, just uh, just to not to get off topic, but a funny thing about that Budokan experience um, was I played three consecutive nights there and I just had got to Japan and the first shows were there um, with her and her and I do like a duo song 
Um, so there's her, she plays piano and I play pedal steel, um, during the set, you know, there's, there's various, you know, different configurations throughout the, throughout the set of, throughout the night and her and I do a duo song. And the first night, um, I missed my song. I was outside. (laughs) So, so I was, so I was, you know, I was pretty nervous. Um, it's just a big looking arena place, you know, but still historically it's significant. And, um, she, she skipped the song, like people jump up and down throughout the night and said, she skipped the song. So I didn't know that she's, I didn't know she skipped the song. So my song was up next and I was outside and I came back in her playing it solo. And I was, and I was like, oh shit. She didn't care at all, by the way, which speaks to a lot about how, you know, how cool she is. But um, that was, that's kind of a funny little thing about that. My, my first time, my first show in Japan at Budokan, first time ever playing there. Fuck. And like literally blowing it. Like, like that's, it's a big part of the set. It's like just us. It's super intimate. And it's pretty beautiful. And uh, I totally, I can't speak for you, but I know my situation. If that was me, I'd be like, of course I fucked this up. Of course. Like, cause I don't belong here. <laughs> well, yeah, that didn't make it feel better, but I think yeah, some of the other, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to give too much away about the way she rolls, but there's definitely like some super fancy, like, you know, I mean, I don't know, like flying on a private jet. I mean, it's like, I, why the, why am I on this? You know, it's like, I, I mean, I, I, I mean, I know it's not me paying for it, but like, I came from nothing. And it's like, I've never even, I mean, all these things were very new to me and you can't help but feel like it in those instances, like be like, why am I, I mean, why am I on this thing? You know, do you, are you at least starting to think like, yeah, maybe I, cause like I'm being 53 and like now certain things happen. I'm like, okay, I fucking have suffered and worked enough He's to be done a time. And, yeah. I mean, I've like, I don't know. I have, I don't think I've talked about it, but like working with Rick Rubin, like I was like, there was a brief moment where I was like, holy fuck, I can't believe I'm, but then I was like, yeah. I've done enough shit. Like, of course yeah. I, sh- I should be here. This is where yeah. I'm supposed to be after 30 fucking years. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I, yeah. I think that I'm starting to come around to that. I think as time goes on after something has passed and after, after, after I've done something like that, I start to be like, Oh, that was pretty cool. And then they start to add up, you know, um, I guess it's still hard to believe because there's so many, you know, in, in, my, in my life, there's so many wonderful, amazing musicians that I'm lucky to know that, you know, could really be anybody. But yeah, I mean, part of me starting to, you know, over time, I start to kind of warm up to the idea of being like, well, yeah, you know, I did my time. I've sort of earned it, I guess. Um, and, uh, you know, the thing is about that though, is I'm not, I'm not a milestone kind of person. And what I mean by that is, you know, in the, in the moment, I'm not really like, I don't really get super psyched on the significance of the event. It's only much later. Do I be like, Oh, that was pretty cool. I did that. Um, yeah. So that's, that's all sort of factors into me sort of really, you know, sort of letting it all sink in. It usually takes some time. And then, then there's the acceptance, I guess, after I let it sink in, I'm like, Oh, actually, okay. Maybe, maybe I did some, I did, I, I paid my dues, you know I mean? Um, maybe, you know, I also think though, like you can't, I don't know, you have to let it seep in later because if you're too aware of how cool it is in the moment, 
that's when you're like, uh, or for me, I get in my head and then I start fucking myself up. So if I don't think about it and then afterwards I go, oh, I just did that. That was pretty, like I, that, I don't deserve that. Here's something I want to ask you. And if you don't want to go into this, you don't have to, but I feel like there's a similarity to you and I, and I think this is why I also feel like imposter syndrome and on the outside or as a tourist, as you say, but I think both of our, we both had uh, absent fathers. Mine died. (laughs) Mine was permanently absent. And yours, do you want to talk about it? Is that something awful to bring up or something that you're uncomfortable with? No, I mean, we can, I mean, you know, look, I mean, I'm happy to be here and, uh, and we're, you know, we've known each other for a while. So I'm happy to, to answer as much as I can. I just curious if that, because for me, I, I already felt like an outsider. Then my dad died in this really fucked up weird way. And that just made me more of an outsider in my community. And that just was something that hung over my head. Probably till this day is probably drives and affects almost a a great number of my choices. And it's just like, it's astounding when I actually break it down of like, Oh, that's probably why I've been married three times. I've been seeking family. (laughs) Oh, absolutely. But do you think your father's absence affected you in that way? Or is that over analytical on my part? I mean, a hundred percent. I mean, the thing is now, and we both have kids now, right? The thing about having a kid and the kid is that uh, you really recognize like, the sacrifices that your parents made. Oh, fuck but you yeah. also, you, but you also realize how like where they fucked up, right? And um, I mean, I don't know if you've you've had that experience, but like, I, yeah, I, I yeah. really recognize the sacrifices that my mom made, but I also recognize like the way that they fucked up. And and I'm not, and I'm not blaming them because you know, in my case, my parents were very very young. Um, but yeah, it's it's greatly affected me. And how could it not? And I and I and it's and it's something that and, and that's not the only reason, you know, but yeah, it definitely had an impact on me. It definitely had an impact on me feeling comfortable in a business where like it's really about relationships, right? I and mean, how this this the music business and, and the film business, everything, it's about relationships and you have to be comfortable around people and people have to really be able to get to know you. And I think that I had a really hard time letting people really in to know me. And that's all directly because I didn't really know my, my dad that well. I mean, you know, just for, you know, for, uh, and now I do, but there's, you know, there was, there's many years of, of just uncertainty and just confusion and being me being in uncomfortable environments, which is really it that that really impacted my professional life and, and again, a lot of it's a lot of what you and I do is like being in these uncomfortable environments. Sometimes, sometimes people that all do the same thing we do or people that have extreme self-confidence, you know, <laughs> some or appear, appear to have it, right. They don't always really have it. Um, and just people that are well-adjusted. I mean, and I'm not one of them. So yeah, that whole thing, the whole, the whole, the whole dad thing for sure impacted me. And I think really impacted me as far as just feeling like, you know, comfortable in the, in the world and myself with other people and in those situations. Yeah. I remember the exact moment where as a father, I understood my father. I was like broke, out of work, scared and angry 
but not at my child. But I, and I caught myself before I got angry towards my child, but I was like, oh, this is what your dad did. Cause my dad was always in unstable jobs and it just made everything fall into place for understanding my father. Cause I was like, he was just scared and he was angry at me because I was the closest thing around. It had nothing to do with me. And yeah. I was like changed everything drastically. Right. Yeah, totally. And, and I should also just mention too, that because there's a chance that somebody in my family might listen. Uh, <laughs> dad is, dad's cool. We talk, we talk, everything's, 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 uh, he's around. I want to ask you about, cause you mentioned wanting to do, or you've been record, you've had a record, your record, a Dan yeah. Aid record. Yeah. Where are you with that? Where is that? And do you have something like a finished product in your head? Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's just something I've been like pretty much all the musicians I know that have or have not done it. I mean, it's something I've been trying to do. And um, I uh, have a studio down the street from my house now. Oh, uh, really? Right? And um, yeah, so I go there when I'm in town and I don't have anything else to do. I go there every Monday through Friday. And so, you know, I'm pretty close. But then, you know, whenever I feel like I get pretty close to finishing something, then something comes up that I have to do and I, and I have to kind of put it to the back. But yeah, it's something I really want to, I really just want to do once in my life. I, mean, I don't think anybody will really listen to it, but um, yeah, I've, I've made a lot of progress with that the last few months. And hopefully, uh, hopefully, yeah, one of these days I can. Are you singing on it? Of, no, it's all instrumental. It's, I think um, it'll be fucking great. It's half pedal steel and half guitar. And it's, and it's instrumental. Um, so yeah, I, I started recording it already two years ago. Um, but then I got sidetracked with other stuff and then this whole thing happened. So I wasn't, you know, going and, uh, really hanging out in somebody's studio for a while. Um, but you know, uh, but yeah, no, hopefully, hopefully I'll get it, get it done. It seems, and I don't know if it's parenting or I don't know. Cause you know, there's so many things to balance now, but now it takes me forever to finish something I'm working on, but I'm just like, all right, I'm going to, it's there every day in my head. And I, every time I could pay attention to it, I will. And then the next thing, then one day you're like, Oh, I fucking finished. Yeah. I did that with um, one thing. And then of course somebody said, no, we can't make that. And then I was heartbroken. <laughs> well, you know, I'm just, I'm just hoping to get to, to where you are. You know, I'm hoping to actually complete something, but, um, yeah, it's just, it's, 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 it's just one of those things that it's tough when you got, yeah, life stuff and other musical things that, that pay, you mo- pay you money. Yeah. Uh, what, um, how did pedal, pedal steel, cause I feel like, were you learning pedal steel when I first met you or had you already, I feel like, I, I, am I crazy or did you start really getting into it when I first met you or was that something you were already doing? Well, how it happened was I, um, my uncle, one of my uncles gave me this, uh, cassette tape when I was 16 and it was all these California psychedelic country bands, like, uh, New Rise of the Purple Sage and the Flying Rio Brothers and Grand Parsons and stuff like that. And I heard it and, uh, I really loved it. And I was like, what is that sound? And then shortly after in a violin shop in New Haven, Connecticut, I saw a pedal steel sitting in the window. I had never seen one, seen one in real life. But I knew that's what it was because I'd seen a picture before, but I never actually like saw a pedal steel in real life. Cause I mean, you don't really see them that often anyway now, but in Connecticut, you definitely not see them. So I, I bought it. It wasn't very expensive. 
So I played for a while, but when you and I met, I'd already been playing when you and I met, but I sort of kind of had put it down because it was during one of those periods that I discussed earlier where I was really into writing songs and, and being a part of that process that I just wasn't playing as much. I was really playing more guitar because the, also the band I was playing in for those three or four years was really guitar based. Um, it wasn't until, so I was playing them but not as much, but it really wasn't until um, probably about 10 years ago that I kind of almost made it my number one thing to do. Just what I get asked to do most. So I just kind of didn't really have a choice in it. And because Emily t- would told me that you would, when you were getting up at three, four in the morning to practice. Oh, is that not I don't true? remember that. I might have been. I think she might have been. I was like staying up till three in the four in the morning. <laughs> it was. It was around the time the kid arrived or pregnancy. It was somewhere in there because I was doing I that think, too. I'd get up at four because I'm like, yeah. if I don't get up at four, I'm not getting fucking anything yeah. done. I think. I think she meant that I was staying up till three, three or four. Um, but I, that's that was kind of my hour anyway. You know, I'd just be. You know, I love staying up late. I don't do that anymore. <laughs> I'm just. I'm up early. But of course, as you know, but. uh but yeah, I think I used to stay up really late because that was my time. I love that time uh, of, of night to, to play. Yeah. What was it about the steel pedal steel that was there anything tangible that you could like say that you were drawn to it or it was just sort of this sound? Just the sound. I mean, it's, it's a real emotive instrument. It was a real big challenge and still is for really everyone that plays it. It's just none of the, none of the movements come naturally. It's a really strange instrument in a lot of ways. It's nothing like guitar. Um, so that there's a real big challenge to it, but it's just such a beautiful instrument. It's, I, I don't, I mean, I don't know anybody who doesn't like the sound of that instrument. Um, so it was, yeah, it was a sound, but also just a, the challenge. Like once I got one, I was like, I, I was determined to figure it out. I still am. Taught yourself? Still, I mean, yeah, I took one lesson, which is sort of funny. I, t- I took one lesson from this guy named Buddy Cage and he played uh, with New Riders of the Purple Sage, that band I mentioned earlier, but also he played with Bob Dylan. He played on Blood in the Tracks. He did a bunch of stuff. And when I was, the first time I lived in New York, a friend of mine contacted him via his website and said, hey, would you come and give this guy a lesson? We found out that he lived in actually in Connecticut. So he came down. I'm pretty sure he was sleeping, living in his Plymouth Voyager, which is like a minivan. <laughs> he had dreadlocks. I'm pretty sure he was living in this van. He parked outside my place, uh, had sweatpants on and like uh, some Reebok high tops. And he came in and it was the only lesson I ever took. And we played a little bit, but he really just got me so excited about the instrument. He told me a lot of stories. So that was my one lesson. So I'm, I'm self-taught besides that one time I got together with that guy, but really he just told me a lot of cool, cool stories and got me really psyched about the instrument. Don't you find it crazy that you took one lesson, you taught yourself, and then you play steel guitar, pedal, what am I getting? It doesn't matter. It's just pedal steel. And then you play on all these albums with fucking, like Valerie June, Nora Jones, all these big people. One lesson. Like, doesn't that say to you, like, hey, maybe I am not an imposter or a tourist? (laughs) Oh, I don't know. Because, you know, I mean, yeah, that's cool. But it's really, you know, it's, it's, it's sort of on those... For a lot, for that instrument, a lot of times it's just a function. 
it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, I think you said texture earlier about something. It's kind of what it is, but yeah, no, it's, it's an honor to be asked. I, I will say that I also, if you listen to, which you can't really hear it, but you kind of can, if you listen to NPR and you listen to the morning edition, if you, if you, if you're an avid listener, you'll notice that um, in the past year, they changed the theme song to it. I'm playing on that. I'm playing pedal steel on that. And every morning, it's on there and all the breaks, but you can't really hear it. So I think it's, <laughs> it's really, I think, I think, I think that might just be, um, might just sum up my, um, my, my career. But, but anyway, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's an honor anytime anybody asks me and it's, uh, yeah, you know, it's, it's, um, yeah, I'm, I'm super grateful for, for those opportunities playing it. And with the anytime. film, film stuff, like you're scoring a film, correct? No, I mean I, I think that in this particular topic, I can I can tell you. Do you kind of be vague t- with some of it? Yeah, but I'll tell you. I mean, because um, because as you know better than anyone about that, you know a lot about that world, the film world, and uh, basically, I was um, the music producer of this biopic. Um, that is in purgatory somewhere, which has so many things on right now. Um, I almost finished it. Uh, the actors, it's, it's, um, it was about this country duo, the Lubin brothers. And, um, I, uh, it's, it's sort of, yeah, it's in, as I mentioned, it's in purgatory. It's not, it's not dead, but it's just, you know, it's in this weird song where it would have been out already if 2020 didn't happen. And, uh, it stars Ethan Hawke and Alexander Nivola. And I was working with those guys and, um, and a vocal coach and I did all the music to it. And those guys were actually going to sing their own parts. It was that time was, and this was January to March, 2020, right when everything shut down, I was still in the studio. Um, incredible experience. Um, I'm actually, you know, well, I'm like, give away, give away too much, but anyway, but yeah, um, I really love doing it. And the reason I love doing that, um, is that I really love working on things that I don't necessarily have an emotional connection to, which sounds crazy because I love working on, I love listening to music and working on music. I have an emotional connection to, but there's something about, I love the discovery of of like going real deep on something. Like I knew the Leuven brothers. I had their record saying this real. I knew their music. I knew a lot of the covers they did, but you know, I looked at all this old Opry footage. I read their autobiography. I read Charlie Leuven's autobiography. I list, I, I got so much archival footage and I went through all of it. I learned everything they did. I, 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 I thought about what they were going through when I was recording the music to the, to the songs, you know? when I was recording my tracks, I was thinking about what was going on there. Like, I love all that stuff. And, um, that's kind of what I love most, most about this stuff. I'm not actually, I'm arranging and producing for this particular project, but I'm not actually composing the music because it's already been written. If that makes sense. That's but pretty I cool. It. I love going super deep. And then, you know, and I don't, you know, this is other one that I just, that just crossed over into the purgatory land hopefully briefly, but it's, a, it's another, it's another one where it's the same thing. Like I love, I knew of this music, but I didn't have, it wasn't something I grew up listening to. It wasn't something all my friends listened to, but I love just 
like really getting inside. Like I just, I love that. I just, I, just, I love, it's like, it's like a, you know, I don't know, like an archeology span or something. I don't know. It's like I'm trying to, I'm trying to get all this, all this information and just how it feels. And of course what it sounds like and influence and stuff, there are influences, but I just absolutely love that sort of stuff. But yeah. the experience, the experience working with those actors though, you know, I, I, I'm at, I sort of, I feel like I'm at freedom to say that because, you know, as you know, who knows what happens with all this stuff in the end, what it, what it looks like now could be very different from what it's the final insane. product is, you know, like it could be very different with the final product is, but I can, I think I have freedom to say that like working with those, with Ethan Hawke and Alexander Nivola, I mean, those guys were, I'm not like a, and I know you're in this world, but I'm, I'm just not, I'm not a big like actor guy. Like I, 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 I respect the craft, but I'm not a big film guy. I'm certainly not into, I'm not like a starstruck kind of guy. Like I just don't really care about that. He's, I've hung out with Ethan. He wouldn't remember me, but I, when I dated somebody, he was, that was in a play with him and he was very cool and very generous. Like he could tell I was the guy in this huge theater company, like hanging around and I didn't know anybody. And he would go out yeah. of his way to be like, do you need a drink? And like check in with me. Yeah. And he didn't have to do that at all. And it was said no. a lot. And he was, but also very passionate about, like he did, uh, he directed that Blaze Foley picture, which oh, yeah. picture I said, like it's 1940. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I know, yeah. Moving picture show he directed. Yeah. But like he's, and I think he's done a couple other, I think he did a documentary as well. I can't. He did a Chet Baker thing. Yeah. Chet that Chet, thing. I liked that um, movie. And I, yeah. biopics can kind of go. Yeah. But I think he focused on some cool elements where it wasn't, I don't know, I, I dug it. Yeah, I think that he's just, his respect for his craft. And also, because I, I like also like, with like Saturday, you know, like a, a table read it like in the living room, you know, in their living room, stuff like that. And like, and I just saw the process and they also explained to me how it was related to music and about the timing of it all and just all these things I learned, it was really, it was really incredible because I didn't really know anything about it. You know, I just, I just figured, you know, you're acting, there's a bunch of reading the script and you get in front of a camera and but I understand the pacing and the timing and the relation to music and, and, and the dynamics of it and stuff like that. I learned so much about it. It's really amazing. Yeah. It really was. I just came back from Los Angeles yesterday and, uh, and boy, and, your um, arms are tired. <laughs> wow. nice nice one um you still got it um, but you know there was something that this guy so we so i did this i was in the studio and i did this recording and um and this guy who was this super amazing drummer iconic drummer and uh, his name's jim keltner um i just want to give a shout out to ross flournoy because he if i don't mention his name after i say Jim Keltner, he's going to be calling me about it all, all day. Um, but, but he said something to me, cause this, this, this drummer has done so much. Did he's he amazing. work with Elvis Costello or am I nuts? Maybe. I mean, he's like on, you know, he's on like knocking on the head's door. I mean, he's on jealous guy. He's, he's, he's one of the most recorded session studio drummers ever. And he still plays, uh, anything you possibly imagine. It's, it's pretty amazing. Um, but he said to me, he's like, or to us, he said, he said, you know, the thing about me is that, I always surrounded myself with people that were way better than me. I was lucky. And I thought about that and I was like, you know what? That's absolutely true. In my case, and I'm lucky. Cause if I feel like I'm the best 
one in the room, I always feel like I'm in the wrong place. And I feel like, and me, and just to kind of connect it to the film thing I was talking about, I mean, those guys were like, those guys are like kind of on the top of their game. And then musically speaking, if we speak about the bands, some of these people that I, you know, that I've backed up playing bands with, like those people are, have so much more experience than me. A lot of them and are just, yeah. I mean, I would say better. And I just feel so grateful for that. So that's the other thing about these sort of experiences that, that it's hard for me to believe that I belong there, but I'm grateful because like I learned so much from, from these people. It's insane, you know? It's, it's, it's hard. It's hard to see too. Sometimes, I mean, where I live now in New York or just in New York in general, like everything is on display here. That's one of the things I really like. Like if you're a musician, I'll see you play like a hundred times just because everyone plays all the time and it's on display. And it's hard to see sometimes. I mean, you're seeing people at like the top of the game. It's just the way it is here. But, in, but in the end though, I mean, I'm just, I'm psyched to see it. It's hard sometimes though. You know, you're like, oh, this guy's doing the same thing I can do much better. But in the end, it only makes, it only makes you better. And it's, and it's, and it's really good, but it's hard to see sometimes because I've definitely like seen that a lot here. <laughs> I'm like, Oh my God, you know, like who is this person? Where is it? I mean, there's so many of you, how are you so good? I mean, there's so many people that are so amazing. That's when you find out what that guy's weakness is. If it's drugs or booze, <laughs> pills, underage, sex mm-hmm. and then you fucking destroy that person because <laughs> this is a business yeah um that i don't really mean that obviously uh, what was it? oh did you, the living in new york because i remember uh, and it was selfish when you moved to new york and when you left yeah. la i selfishly didn't want you to leave and i was yeah. like there's no way new york's better than but how is the culture like it's better right to be there as a musician uh, i'll tell you uh, well and for me y- yes I mean, for a while i mean it's hard to say now um because everything is so different because anywhere you live but the last couple of years have like been so it's so hard to gauge what's really going on because you're not really doing much so i don't know but i will tell you this is a, this is actually the one time in my life that well, it's a serendipitous. I don't really know what you call it. You're a writer. You probably would know. But this is like one of the most amazing things that ever happened to me. And this happened in New York sort of right after I arrived. And this is a, maybe a good example about how why it sort of worked for me here. Um, I feel like better in Los Angeles is before I lived in New York, I played a show with a Los Angeles artist. And one, of, and, and one of the musicians was from New York. And we played in New York, but I was not living there yet. And this guy from New York after the show said, Hey, um, that was really fun. You should come to this place called 11th street bar when you're in town next time. And I said, okay, great. You know, I'm thinking about moving and uh, great. I'll come by. So fast forward six months later or so I'm living in the city one night. I'm like, you know, I think that, that this place that this guy mentioned to me is is in this, like right around the corner. I think it's a few blocks away. I should go there. So I went there and I had no idea what night of the week this was happening because it only happened one night a week. I didn't know if it even was still happening, but I go to this place and it's there. Everyone is there. Everyone that I kind of, I mean, most people that I kind of work for were there. And I show up and the guy recognizes me. He's like, uh, why don't you play one? 
And then I started going back every week and they had me play every week. And if I walked in on there, if I walked there in, in on that place, any other night of the week, nobody would have been there. And I probably would have gone home and been like, well, I miss, I don't know. I don't know what it was like, but uh, you know, I, I guess I don't, you know, maybe, maybe they're not doing it anymore or something. I didn't call anybody beforehand. I just went, but I happened to go the night that it was all happening. And like, you know, Valerie was there and Nora was like, everyone was there. Lady K was probably there. I mean, everyone was there. And if I didn't walk in that night, and it's just in the back room somewhere. It's just like this nondescript, awesome place. But I think things would be a lot different for me. But the fact that that sort of thing happens in New York, to a casual get-together, play, hang sort of thing, people at all levels of their career, um, was the best thing that probably happened to me in a long time. And I don't think that would have happened to me in Los Angeles. And I need that. You know, I need to be in those sort of environments where it's more of a playing situation. I'm not really good with the meeting somebody at a party and being like, Hey, let's have coffee. And then let's play music. I won't ever really get that far, but here it's like you just see people that you've been performing with on and off for the last month, you know, same bills or something. And then you eventually start playing together. That's how you meet people and met so many great people that way. But anyway, that story is really, really significant because I don't, my life would have probably been a bit different if I did not walk into that place, happen to walk into that place that exact night. That's crazy. You know I mean? Yeah. And is that like, and you kind of were doing a show like that too, right? Your adult party? Took, yeah. I eventually took over the night. Oh, I didn't that. know that. Yeah. I eventually took over that night. I mean, oops, probably six months after I first stepped in there and then somebody from another club came in and were like, Hey, we'll pay you this money to go do it at our place. And then I did that for a while. Um, that's fucking but, uh, great. Yeah. But it was just one of those things, you know, that's never, I mean, I've been lucky in a lot of ways, a lot of personal ways, but that musically like that was, that meant so much to me. And I still friends with a lot of those people I met there, but it was like this best, best hang ever. And, and is that just so like, many, Oh, sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. No, I mean, it's just, there's so many great people. I mean, even people I didn't have working for, but it would be there. I mean, just, it was amazing. Cause I, and it's, is that just like a night where musicians show up and they play whatever? It's not like a planned thing. It's just sort of like a, for I mean, it's, it was, yeah. I mean, it was the same day every week. And there was, at the time I was doing it, there were these Swedish guys that were living in New York that were kind of like the ringleaders of it, where they had some material. But it really was like, if you had a song, you came up and played but it wasn't like an open mic sort of thing. It was like, you had to, you know, know somebody there. Like, but, um, but yeah, it was, it was just a weekly thing every Wednesday where there was sort of a kind of like a host, I guess, where these, where this was this, these Swedish guys, but, but really it was, it was sort of the same people collective that sort of when there'd be some guests that would come in and play. Um, but yeah, I mean, that, that sort of thing happens here and it's pretty awesome, especially if you like new to town and want to meet somebody, you know, that's pretty great. Like, cause I remember like talking to Steve Gunn and he, cause I, th I thought you guys knew each other better. And he's like, no, we just did this thing and we played together like on the fly. And I was like, yeah. And he was like, and Dan would, everybody says this about you. Like you could just be pulled into something and you don't, they're like, I didn't even have to show him anything. He just picked it up and went and made it brilliant. Like that's, you know, that's really, you know, 
and that's really nice. But that's partly, you know, why I started to feel comfortable with that was because of Cass McCombs. Working with him is because I remember, never forget the first night that I, I think the first tour I did with him that was outside of California uh, was uh, in Boston. And he literally, five minutes before we were about to go up there, he's like, we're going to play this song. And I never, I didn't learn it. I never, five minutes before we were about to play, he's like, we're, this is, we're going to put the song in the set we're going to play. And I'm like, okay, I literally have no idea how it goes. This guy has a lot of songs. So that wasn't that uncommon, turns out. But anyway, after that, though, he used to do that a lot. And I started to really love it. And now I just, anytime that happens to me, I'm like, I, I'm totally like comfortable with it. But, but that was in, in that in, with Steve, when that happened, um, I had already like been through that thing where like that <laughs> happened to me so many times, you know? I remember you telling me like playing with Cass, he would just point to you and be like solo. Yeah. Yeah. That, that was, that, that too was like, kind of. at first I was like, Oh man, I don't know if I'm ready, but yeah. Then eventually you're like, just birth okay, by fire, um, man. But I mean, yeah. the fact that he came back to you so many times time, that the that he trusted you says yeah. mountains about well, your skill. Well, I just I really I really love I really love that guy. I mean, he's 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 pretty amazing. He said, uh, "I love Dan Aid. His his playing is like his demeanor, cool and intelligent." That's what he said about you. Well, that's 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 the intelligent part. Wow, that's the surprise. <laughs> Do do those kind of quotes make you uncomfortable at all? Yeah, well, I sort of. I mean, I'm I'm happy that he honored that he would say that. I I didn't want to just interview you because, uh, I mean, I did obviously, and I've always been, and I've said it time and time again. But you've been a big influence on me, and I don't. I, oh, I know that sounds corny because I'm older than you. <laughs> <laughs> but like you've you've greatly sent me in musical directions. I don't think I would have ever. Oh going in oh thank you and uh i but i also wanted it to be beyond an interview i wanted it to be a bit of a tribute because you're such a gifted man and people fucking love you like it's crazy i i reached out to some people personally and everyone was just like and i will put all the comments that people wrote to me in the show notes <laughs> well, that's uh that's uh no i i i, I appreciate that yeah I and mean, that's that's very nice that people took the time all right awesome. handsome dan i thank, thank you, you so much for having me thank this you. was a blast and i've yeah. i've wanted to do it for a long time i just wanted to wait for a special occasion so i'm glad that this was it well this is i mean i'm honored that you asked me that conversations with the wire please become a patreon subscriber if you like also subscribe to the show on your itunes or what have you not and tell your friends about the show that would mean a lot to me as well as uh, go to the link tree in the show notes or the mattdwire.com or conversations with the wire at the instagram and you could learn more about the show buy merch and all those great things thank you very much for listening